This episode is brought to you by TickPick, where smart fans buy and sell tickets. Check out TickPick for the best ticket prices for your next game, concert, or event, and use promo code PODCAST to save 10 bucks off any order over $49. That's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K dot com. Promo code PODCAST. Oscar Robertson flew off indoors. What a year that has been. The Bucks are the world champions. Concrete going inside. Ray Allen driving past Armstrong. The jam over McGrady. Two seconds. Middleton. Yes! Chris Middleton! Happy birthday, Jason Kidd. This place is up for grabs. Play basketball and win. And win? Yeah. How many games? Six. We're gonna, be, we're gonna win in six. Hello and welcome to episode 148 of the Win Six podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee. And joining me as usual is my good friend, Jordan Tresky. Hello there, Jordan. Hello. We basically made it through the summer now. Maybe we're speaking just a little bit too soon. Anything could happen. But I feel like we've made it through the summer. By the time this podcast posts for everyone to listen to, it's going to be the start of preseason for the books. It's going to be the day when preseason gets underway. Books basketball is back. It is. The players go into the arena. They're going to have to walk through the leaves, falling off the trees. little blustery wind. Maybe a slight drizzle. Then again, they are playing in Texas where the <laughs> climate is much different than Wisconsin. So this may not apply. But yes, Bucks basketball is back. Yeah, I'm not quite sure if Dallas is exactly as autumnal as the the beautiful painting you've just you just put together on a whim for our listeners. But all the same, I think what you're getting at is it's the time of year that basketball is back. Mm-hmm. As such, what we're going to do this week is we're going to look ahead to preseason, the books four game preseason schedule. We're going to talk through some of the things that we feel are important for the books during preseason, things we'll be watching out for. And... After this podcast, from here on in, our focus will very much be on moving on to the regular season. Um, We're going to come in with our predictions podcast, as promised, starting with next week's episode. We'll probably start out West. We normally do the Western Conference first, just because uh, by design, being a books podcast, we probably spend less time talking about the West, and then we'll follow up with the podcast on the East a week later. Who knows? We may have more podcasts in between if preseason is just that exhilarating or it gives us enough to talk about let's just hope it won't be injuries this year as i knock on wood but for now let's dive into preseason let's start off with our preseason schedule for those of you who don't already know as we allude to the books tip off preseason in the american airlines center in dallas on monday 7 30 p.m central against the mavericks this week is a busy week for the books, with 75% of their preseason schedule coming within the next five days. On Wednesday, 
the Bucks will be back home in the Bradley Center to host divisional rivals, the Indiana Pacers. 7 p.m. start in that one. And on Friday, the Bucks will make the short journey to Chicago and will play the Bulls in the United Center at 7 p.m. once again. From there, full week off. You know, to get to get used to that new spaced out NBA schedule, they've decided let's take a full week off and preseason will wrap up on wait for it. Friday the thirteenth. Against another divisional rival, the Detroit Pistons at the Bradley. Would this be the uh uh Mac Fun game? I don't know. Because I don't but... think they released Details on that because obviously Mac Fun game it's tradition held every preseason that would make sense. Was the Mac Fun game ever the Madison game? Because of course that's that's something that's uh, come about as a result of this shortened preseason schedule. Is we've lost what we've had the last few years a game in Madison. Um no, no it hasn't. Okay, it's always been a Bradley Center game. Uh, well, I don't know. If- that right now if any of them are assigned as a Mac fun game if any of you listening now send us a tweet tell us about it I'm sure we'll find out in due course anyway but that is our schedule so three themes that the books are going to be seeing a lot of this year in the central division plus the Dallas Mavericks <laughs> I guess the first thing to say about all of this is this is a very soft preseason schedule um, not that you're ever going to be kind of as a lot of people have probably seen already, you can play the Warriors in preseason and you're only going to see 20 minutes of Steph Curry, 20 minutes of Kevin Durant. Everyone's going to go pretty deep. It's not really about winning the games. So it's not that you're kind of in with a chance of getting a schedule that's a really grueling preseason schedule, but the books are certainly going to ease themselves into the season, which is probably a good idea considering that their actual regular season schedule does start in grueling fashion with the Celtics followed by the Cavs. First off, we'll start on a very simple level. Are you excited, Jordan? Yes. Your excitement had ramped up considerably. I don't know, was it about two weeks ago you made a you made a statement I of made just a declaration. Te- you did. You declared that <laughs> I declare bankruptcy. Excitement was reaching <laughs> a fever pitch, dare I say, very far out from the season. But now that as we record this, I mean, we're just over 24 hours away from Bucks basketball on a scale of 1 to 10. Where is Jordan Tresky's excitement at? Well, I never go full bore 10. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I said it exactly. That's not a joke, that though. That is yeah, true. Yeah, that's not a joke. I do, I do waver a bit. I go from like, oh, like I'll be excited, but I would say I top out at it probably an eight, in rare cases nine. I will say I am about an eight. I'm oh, very wow. excited. That is, that is very excited for this. Yeah. Um, if you top out at about an eight and you're at an eight for the start of preseason, whew. well, it's just it's not about the preseason itself. It's, it's just, just right, Yeah, it's a refreshed. We're refreshed. We smell like Irish Spring, which is a beautiful scent. Well, thank you, Jordan. Um, 
I'm going to take that as something completely different and just thank you. You made that. it yourself. <laughs> I can confirm that Irish Spring does smell particularly nice. It does. There's a, there's a real freshness in the air. Again, we're talking about different things, but it's open to everyone's discretion on how they want to take it. I, I said, I think, at the time when Jordan made his bold declaration that I really wasn't that excited at all. I, I hadn't made my mind up if I was excited for the return of it. And, you know, it's nearly here now, and I'm kind of like, yeah, okay, it's back. That's good. I like basketball. The books don't always torture me. Why not do this again? Why not? What is the biggest thing you're going to look for from the preseason books? I guess, I mean, I, I, I don't know if I have a, a specific thing, and it would be hard to judge regardless because there's so many different factors. But I would like to see if that kind of synergy or chemistry that we saw from the team over the last, you know, two months, if you count the playoffs for last year, if that carries over right away into this season slash preseason. Obviously, you'll have the showing of rust and all that stuff and coming back into things, especially when it's crazy that we we talk about the training camp is almost here, then it. It's technically over the <laughs> in one week, which is just I find that kind of strange because in other sports it's you know it's handled totally differently. Anyway, that's it's a kind of like they'll have. Um, I guess that week's gap is maybe maybe it's not a bad idea because you get a week's training camp, then you get to actually test the things you've worked on, then you get another week to go back and say, okay, we're still not right on these things. Work on them again, and then be ready for the season. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, but, you know, obviously they're going to have a roll with the same lineup as they rolled with for that last two months. Maybe – was that after – that was more than two months, right? Basically since Jabari went down. Or no. Oh, it was, it was about two months. It was about two yeah. months. Just over yeah. two months maybe, but pretty close to it. But then again, we may not see that as much, especially with, you know, Giannis and his the right. unfortunate passing of his father. Uh and obviously, you don't want to put too much on people's plates for preseason and all that stuff. So it may be just lim- limited spurts here and there that we see this. But I would, as a whole, like to see that kind of I don't know, starting five uh, cohesion uh, come through right away. Yeah, I, I think I agree with some of what you're saying. And there's other elements I disagree. I'm, I'm not too worried about the starting five or seeing the starting five even. To be honest, I'd be... I'd be a little surprised if Giannis plays this week. Uh, yeah. Even at any sort of home games. Now, Giannis, we all know what he's like and what his personality is. And as we've seen with so many players in the past, perhaps particularly, say, a home game on Wednesday, it might just be at a point where he wants to get his mind onto basketball and try to escape as, as much as that is possible, which probably isn't a lot. Maybe that could factor in. But I, I think, you know... Considering as well the the niggling knee problems that are we hope gone and it sounds like they are, there's no need to push him and he's going to be under an incredible strain emotionally for quite a long time, I'm sure, but it's going to be at its rawest in the immediate future. So I I don't know if I'd, I think that extra, that week off between the game and then having that, that final game against the Pistons, you know what, I mean... If he gets plenty of run and has already had some in training camp, he has more time for that. 
it's not like he's going to need lots of games necessary to be game ready. Maybe towards the latter part of this week, he might maybe play against the Bulls or something. But if he wasn't to, and it was like just that Pistons game is kind of a tune-up, I wouldn't be too worried. I wouldn't see it as a big deal. With that in mind, I, I wouldn't be overly concerned or overly interested even in getting a look at the starting lineup without Giannis, because what is that even? Yeah. It's a nightmare that we all hope we won't have to dive into at any point in the regular season, essentially. I'm more interested in I think the synergy element that you mentioned. I think that's that's a very good point, and it's important, and the chemistry elements. And this really should be kind of helping new guys, which, okay, a lot of the new guys may not be on the roster come opening night, and then you've got your two rookies who may not play a whole lot early on, but helping them kind of settle in and really test that their knowledge is good on different sets, on the defensive scheme, things like that. So with that in mind, if I was a coach, I'd probably use preseason aside from kind of your dishing out minutes to as many players as possible to just try and continue to build up fitness, shake off rust. I'd I'd look at lineups that I felt were the right mix of those who know exactly what they have to do have been there, done that, and those who don't have a clue. So, for example, if you can get Jason Terry and Chris Middleton out there in a lineup that also includes DJ Wilson or Sterling Brown, that to me seems like a worthwhile exercise. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Ton Maker, maybe the starting center in a group like that. John Henson might be someone who's it's pretty smart to put out there because John Henson has spent years playing Jason Kidd's defensive scheme at this point. I think things like that are important, and you just want to make sure your players are communicating in the way you need them to. They know exactly what you're looking to run and how you plan to operate as a team. I think that's got to be top priority. Kind of moving on from that, and it would be a byproduct of being able to check off all those boxes, is I just want them to look somewhat sharp. By the time preseason wraps up, I want them to look like, oh, they're ready. You know, They can go and hit the ground running. Because as we mentioned before, the, the actual regular season schedule is really, really tough. And not just those first two games. You don't have to look far beyond that for kind of difficult games against some of the leagues that are heavyweights. They need to start positively because they could play well and lose their first two games. So if they were to play poorly for a little while to start the season, I mean, first five games, you play the Celtics twice, the Cavs once, Trailblazers are probably a playoff team in the West, the Hornets are probably a playoff team in the East. You're looking at five playoff teams to open up the season. If you if you aren't at your best, you could lose all five and be in a really big hole straight away. That is not just not what you want, but the last thing you need as a team who you're not just at this point where you can r- roll off runs like that like you did last year because, you know, making the playoffs is, you know, that's a successful season. Expectations are higher this year, so that you don't want to just scrape into the playoffs at the end or need this incredible run where you end up with player of the month, coach of the month, all these things late in the season just to get to the playoffs. Start fast. Hopefully catch some of those teams who are integrating new signings, still betting in, which the two uh, conference rivals, Cleveland and Boston, most certainly will be. 
maybe you catch them cold and maybe you go the opposite way start five and oh you have a head start on your conference and from there you go okay well let's just keep going and see what happens it's really it's a really crucial start i think more so than we've seen in recent years i think there's there's been times where um i, I don't think it was maybe it was last year if not it was the year before but they had a pretty soft schedule to begin with and it was kind of a case of you know they should really take care of this and they could put themselves in a good position if they take care of this, they didn't, and then they were in trouble. This is, though, the flip side of it. It's You want to be one of these best teams. You want to control your own destiny. Your chance is there, but you're going to have to be on your best straight away. So there are the elements for me from preseason. Just get to a point where, I guess, as a team, you're on the same page, and also that you're kind of mentally and physically sharp and ready come opening night. They'd be my top priorities. Looking into players more specifically. We can name a few names in a moment, but are there any standouts from players that there's something you'd want to see them do or that they need to show in preseason or maybe they've added up until this point? Probably Middleton, uh, just because, you know, it's not a secret coming back from an from an injury as he did with his hamstring. And he showed, I think looking back at it, we kind of maybe downplayed it in the moment. Or maybe actually, we didn't really downplay it. We're like, look at what he's doing. And he's coming back off a terrible injury as he had. Uh, but it was certainly, everyone could see it, especially as uh, during the playoff series. He did just look, a, not sluggish, but there was just something missing. And that's, to be expected when you're coming back and you go pretty much back into full gear after, you know, tearing your hamstring. So I just think, see if how sharp he is, seeing if he kind of has that return to, I guess, his peak athletic or athleticism, you know, you know, you don't really associate that with Chris Milton. Just seeing how mobile is he, how, you know, strong is he? Cause he does look, I would say very different coming into camp from the photos that we saw during media day and all that stuff. He looks very leaner, but it's all a different test when you're doing it in game speed and game action, even if it's preseason. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I, I think some of the things that people will be keeping an eye out for, although maybe it's it's a little too much scrutiny on particular aspects for preseason uh, shot selection, because the shot selection was maybe at its worst at spells in the playoffs. And I think an obvious reason you could point to for why that was the case is he was settling. He didn't feel like he had maybe the quick step that he had at other times or just the ability to push off, get past his man or explode up and finish, which as you said, aren't generally associated with Chris Middleton, but he can do those things. So shot selection being improved would show both a mental and a physical adjustment that we could all then just say, okay, well, some of the issues late in the year that he had were just, you know, more on the injury. We could put them behind us now and move on. That would be a big positive. Uh, for, for me, the player who, I guess, immediately comes to mind on this, and uh, maybe the only player that I'd be taking preseason very seriously for and will be watching very closely is Rashad Vaughn. Mm. It's do or die. <laughs> really, it is. I mean, if... If he wants his option picked up, you're going to have to convince the team that you still have something, that there is something really there. 
a good preseason will be a start to that. A bad preseason just may kill the conversation completely. He admitted he spoke about it himself at Media Day that he felt it was particularly important for him. He's got to deliver the goods. He's got to show what he's worked on, how he's improved. He can't be a player who is kind of missing the opportunities that others may get away with because he's there long enough that he should know every in and out of what the books are looking to do on both sides of the floor. So Rashad Vaughn really has to deliver. It doesn't mean that if he does deliver in preseason, you know, well, that's it. Rashad Vaughn has arrived. All his troubles are behind him. We've seen him do things in preseason. Specifically reserved for summer league. (laughs) Yeah, I don't even touch that one. Uh, We've we've seen him do those things before in preseason, and it doesn't amount to anything. But this could have longer-term implications. Plus, I know we kind of we talked about last week, and we said it would be unlikely. But what if the books do have a preseason where Brandon Rush and Gerald Green are playing out of their mind? They've only got one roster spot they can open up. Maybe they do look to just give Vaughn away if he's not productive. It's not impossible. He's got to he's got to prove he's worthy of a spot because this is the most competitive uh, training camp roster the books have had in a long, long time, possibly ever. I can't think of many teams who have training camp rosters as packed with veteran NBA players as this one. So he's got to show he's worth that spot. And even there's just an element of, you know, if he's not and they keep him around, he's a guy for fans who all season, they'll be saying, we're stuck with this guy and we could have had Brandon Rush or Gerald Green or James Young, whoever it is. There's already enough of a kind of, enough reason for people to be skeptical of what Rashad Vaughn could be in the NBA. He needs to deliver on that. Um, I, I think, personally, the biggest thing for me would be, show us you can shoot. Show us you could shoot, because it's kind of painful to think of what he was introduced as, why he was picked, and then to think of the reality of he's a guy who's shot like, what, 32% from the field and maybe 30% from three or even less. They're not exact numbers that I have in front of me, but I know I'm pretty close. Um, he, he's been awful. He's really been awful. He came in as a jump shooter, a scorer, and he showed himself to be the complete opposite, so much so that last season, when he has flashes of being an average defender, everyone's like, look at him. He's a really good defender. That's because you've got to kind of grasp at those straws when the thing he was supposed to be is clearly not what he actually is. I have checked it now. I'm impressed and slightly concerned about myself that I was exactly (laughs) right. I don't know what that says about my life, Jordan, that I know exactly Rashad Vaughn's career splits from field goal and three-point range. I might have to reevaluate. on the pulse of the Bucks, no matter which person it is. Yeah. People and people say that I give Rashad Vaughn a hard time. I just know the facts. That's all. I just know the facts. Aside from Rashad Vaughn, it would be nice to see the rookies step in, contribute in some sort of meaningful way, show some positive signs. It's not a guarantee, though, and it's not necessarily the end of the world if that doesn't happen. I think. Speaking of Vaughn, we've seen it go the other way where we have this incredible. Right, and we've got, don't forget, Jordan, we're going to close preseason on a Stan Van Gundy game. Oh, I know. I mean, can Vaughn get that treatment again? Does Stan Van Gundy think, 
yeah, that might be a bad idea, you know, if you want to just dump one off for someone else. And he has another big game against Stan Van Gundy. And Stan Van Gundy's like, this is the, this is the shooter that will make my Pistons my Orlando Magic team of old. This is the missing piece. Maybe he can be conned. Aside from the rookies, and probably two players I'm more interested in seeing than the rookies, uh, because, you know, anything with the rookies is going to be an overreaction either way. Mm-hmm. Ton and Brogdon, last year's rookies. Brogdon in particular, I'm, I'm not looking to see him do more. I think if he does more, then we're really into found money. I mean, that's an entirely different level. And if Brogdon could become much more than he was last year through his career, it could completely change our conversations about what the books could be as a team. So that, that would be a great bonus. But what I want to see him do is just be equally consistent and steady and be able to say, okay, that is, you know, that is the player he is, and he's going to be able to do that night in, night out throughout the season. Any worries around that are gone. I think that would be very refreshing if he could just put together four good, efficient preseason games, and then we've got, okay, no need to worry. That's a positive start. Um Ton somewhat likewise, although his role was different last year, it was less. You want to see him do the same thing successfully, but I'd say in his case, from early in the season, and we can start that with preseason, I want to see him roll to the rim more. We talked about this quite a bit in the playoffs, but offensively, he did more of that, and he's good when he does it. Like He's he's fast and atle- fast enough and athletic enough that he can roll to the rim and he can finish. Obviously, uh, his upper body strength may have been a reason that we didn't see a lot of that earlier in the year. They may have tried to avoid having Ton roll to the rim, but I don't think they should underestimate just how his agility can actually give him opportunities to finish at the rim, even against stronger guys. That's something we saw flashes of late last season in the playoffs too. I'd like to see some more of that. I think they're the ways I'd like to see him change his game around. Otherwise just keep that energy going. Keep that energy that got him the starting spot last year. And that every time he came into the game, we'd go, okay, he's a positive influence on the rest of the team. He just gets to play in a different way. Into more experienced players? I would say, for obvious reasons, Delhi and Mirza Teletovic. It's not make or break, but both of those guys could do with positive pre-seasons to build confidence and give them... Give them solid footing for a bounce-back year. Do you think that's likely in both their cases? I know you can't necessarily speak on a four-game sample that we're going to see in preseason, but do you think they can do that? Do you fade in both of those players having improved years? And It's worth noting, Delhi wasn't probably quite as bad as he's often made out to be last year. Uh, Mirza was. Mm. But do you have confidence that both of those players can improve and do more this year? Yeah, in both cases. I mean, we talked about with Delhi before, but if you really think about the slate that he's picked up, not just last year or the two years ago, I mean, basically since LeBron came back to Cleveland, he's been playing basketball almost year-round. Not even just with the Cavs slash Bucks, but with Australia during the Olympics. I mean, that's a full slate for a guy that we kind of had questions of when the Bucks signed him or slash traded him for him. Added him. Let's just say added him. Um, there will be durability question marks, and especially with 
before we knew what Malcolm Brogdon was, and they, you have to remember, Mike Carter Williams is still on this team. There were still many question marks, as there still are with the point guard position. Um, I think as summer, as we probably have said it many times before, I think as summer, having a summer off and kind of, I guess, recooling and, you know, just getting a load off, basically, uh, that's a good thing for a guy like Delhi that needed a kind of a break, um, just kind of recharge. For Mirza, I know I may not be the most objective person with him, but there is statistical evidence that after down years, he comes back and shoots, not the lights out, but pretty, pretty, he has a, he has a bounce back year. Um, and you have to remember, too, he was playing for Bosnia Herzegovina. Herzegovina? Bosnia right. and Herzegovina. Herzegovina. You can go uh, Herzegovina later, but yeah. you put an extra put an extra eye in there somewhere. It doesn't need to be there. But you're close. <laughs> he He's had, done with that anyway is your point. Yeah, he had that uh, trying to qualify for Eurobasket last year, which, you know, there was circumstances that came up from that. And obviously going into summer, it, I think – it's I don't know. It's always illuminating to see all the stuff where, whether it's media day or season end of review or something like that, and hearing these players talk about like what it's like coming back after getting a big contract, and they might not be the most sharp. Uh, I know Middleton was talking about that a couple or after the disappointing year a couple of years ago. I think Henson said that too, but it just goes a- across the board. Al Jefferson was talking about it with the Pacers and stuff like that, and. It's just kind of a weird effect that you'd think like it would be the opposite. But, again, I think the same what we were talking about with Delhi. I think it, it does apply to Mirza where you don't have that kind of grind for, you know, year-round that it can be kind of a blessing in disguise that you get to recharge and get ready with, uh, you know, prepare for the upcoming season. So I think it's definitely a possibility for both and what they do as – within their roles that they can have a improved season for sure. Yeah. And there's also, I think an element that's often overlooked in this is like, it's no, no big deal. If, if you in your everyday job, any normal person, you were to be told kind of on very short notice, maybe you've had a couple of days discussions and that's what does it. But literally you might have two or three days and you find out, okay, you're now moving to a completely different place across the country. This is where you work now. You're working with entirely new people. You have to settle in and deliver. It's just, that's not that simple. Because although your job might be the same, you've got to build up relationships and working understandings with those around you. Then away from your job, you've got to settle in in a new place, in your new life not just maybe on your own, but also have a family settle in. All of those things are incredibly disruptive. I think it's it's often kind of overlooked, overstated. Maybe we should also point to that for Greg Monroe. You know, maybe it's something we didn't consider enough. But when we're now thinking of, like, the first year that Greg Monroe had, we could put that in with Delhi and Mirza having poor first years. And it's interesting to think of, say, another new arrival last year, uh, Tony Snell. He didn't exactly have to move that far. I don't even know what way his setup was last year, but probably wasn't as kind of disruptive as those other guys had. Then you have. Well, if you remember, though, he did not 
he wasn't that great of a shooter for the first two months. It was really after right. the the new year that he really heated up in a big way. Yeah, that was uh, Marcus Johnson used that stat for a long time in the broadcast, but for the actual calendar year 2017, Tony Snell was the league's three-point leader for for a long, long time. He was shooting like 46-47% from three. Um, cooled off a little bit in the last stretch of the year, but he definitely had at least a couple of months where he was the league leader for the, the 2017 calendar year. So yeah, there's another guy who I guess had to settle in and that was less of an adjustment. But I just wonder, is that something that if Delhi and Toledovic are a lot better this year, we could start to point to? And I think there's the obvious ways, like the players will talk about, you know, new defensive scheme and uh, Toledovic talked about he's he's worked on kind of, he's worked on the kind of shots he knows the books are going to get him and then being different shots to what he was getting in Phoenix. They'll talk about things like that, but I also think the off-the-court elements got to have a pretty big toll. I just, I think that's often uh, kind of flippantly just overlooked by fans. It's a big deal. I think everyone can relate that to their own life. Moving house is stressful, not to mention the distance that they're often moving. Mm. Not to mention everything else that's going to come with that. You know, when when any normal person moves house, they're not going to be scrutinized for months upon months on end by fans and journalists of how they're performing in their new surroundings it's a very strange thing so i'm optimistic we'll see better from both of those guys and if we do i think there may be even more simple reasons than will be accredited to it for why they're why they're better you know it's it's kind of pretty much common sense i mentioned greg monroe Moose is another player I'm just intrigued to see in the early part of this year in terms of can he replicate what he was doing last year. We could have said at times last year, and we probably did, maybe this is a contract year thing. Well, he had the option for it not to be a contract year. He opted into his contract for the final year of the books, but that doesn't mean that this now is a contract year. He's going to be up against it to make anywhere close to the money that he's on his current deal. I'd be, I'd be pretty confident saying that that's, that's going to be virtually impossible. And now he's trying to maximize what he can get. With that in mind, he needs a big, big year. I want to see that he can replicate the effort. I want to re- see that he can continue kind of showing that even if he's not the smartest or the most naturally gifted defensive player, that he will at least work hard enough to kind of paper over some of those cracks. And I want to see him continue to be an offensive weapon in the second unit, you know, feast on opposing teams' benches. He's got the skills. He's got the body to do that. Keep using it. How confident are you? Or if you were to put it kind of put odds on the chances of seeing a return of that version of Greg Monroe again, where would you put it at? I'm cautiously optimistic that he can, I guess, find the same form as he did last year. But I do think there will be. It was such a it was such a swing the other way from the year before. At least his defensive performance that made him what it was, and maybe that is because he had less minutes. He was more in a uh, you know controlled role, not in that starting position, which you know obviously is probably to his benefit. I, not obviously, 
or probably it is obvious that it was to his benefit that it just makes him more of an effective player on both ends of the floor. But I do think that kind of because he is such a different player compared to Thon or what Thon could be, obviously, that it makes such a good kind of blending together. And obviously it is another contract year. It's another prove it year. But even if, you know, the we talk about this, the you know, the salary purposes and all that stuff that's going to happen. His that his role to the Bucks may be even bigger than what it was before because there is such a bigger there is such a question mark with Jabari. There is such a question mark with you know that kind of who's that going to be that kind of third fourth scorer and obviously the center position that's still as much as we would like it to be resolved with Thon. It's still we don't know how fast he could be a starter we don't it's there's just so much uncertainty with the buck center position all across the board that he's still value he's still such a valuable player to them both short and possibly long term depending on what happens with you know this summer and obviously how he plays the season how he kind of uh you know performs if he's able to deliver what he did last year or even more so um he was a real six Six man of the year again, and I don't think that's really going to change. I think that if he does play up to his capabilities as he did show for the majority of last year, he could be a bigger. We could see him be a runner up. Who knows? I mean, there's just so much on the line with him uh, this season. Again, uh, it's going to be really fascinating to watch. Obviously, so I, I think he can do it. But I, I again, it's there was so much thing that things that came into place last year that. Who knows if that will come back together again? Who knows if he has the same motivation as, you know, being his name, being in all these trade rumors and all this stuff and just with how the first season went. There's just, some, you know, I can go on and on, but yeah, it's, it'll be fun to watch. I think, I think the big thing for me is uh, it's not even around his ability. I think if I was to think of his game and what we know about Greg Monroe as a basketball player throughout the the sample size that is his entire NBA career, I'd probably start to feel a little bit more nervous. The thing that makes me optimistic about this is the camaraderie and the chemistry that he has seemed to build within the team. And that was very much lacking in his first year, particularly when we think he came in as, uh, you know, Chris Middleton's great friend. And they they did their press conference together because Middleton had just signed his extension, if I remember correctly. Uh, Moose's introductory press conference was along with Middleton and it just wasn't obvious in any way that he was liked or that he liked his teammates that he was really settling in with his team in that first season Milwaukee and that changed so much last year we saw him do things like become this kind of enforcer and become the first guy into any sort of scuffle uh, to try and either cool things down or exacerbate the situation significantly and stand his ground for his teammates and then that carries over to, like we talked about last week, when you see him with, like, Ton, who's someone very different in personality, comes from a completely different background. You know, it's not obvious that those two should have quite the rapport, quite the, the chemistry that they do. They're also competing with each other for minutes at the same position. And yet, it was very natural, and you could see they were at ease with each other, they were having a good time. I think that just speaks of who Monroe has become within this team. 
I think he is someone who is more valued than ever, perhaps by any group of teammates he's had in the NBA. Mm-hmm. You know, the result of that should be more positive things. I, th- I think. And one, go on. One other thing I forgot to mention. First, as you talked about with, you know, coming to Milwaukee and being introduced to Milton, he talked about making the playoffs. And when he when they went to the playoffs, he really delivered. He was really good in that series. That, that kind of gets overlooked with just how Giannis was playing for almost what was it forty seven minutes of Game Six and all the other stuff that was going on. Greg Monroe was a very good player for the Bucks during uh, that series against the Raptors. That's a big thing. That's a big kind of. I don't know. I, I don't want to say swing factor because there's just so many different things, but that is such a huge thing to see in kind of determining, you know, whatever happens next offseason. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think that part kind of building on that again, that's that's also an important element if he wants to get paid as much as possible next year is how is he perceived in the NBA now? If he is perceived as kind of a good locker room guy and someone who will kind of give his all for his team on any given night, that will up his value along with the rest of his game because he's already kind of at a disadvantage as this kind of big man who's already, you know, kind of on the wrong end of history, I guess, in terms of the way the NBA is is moving and moving away from old-fashioned uh, post-dominant centers. If he can edge out some of the others who are in that discussion as someone who you know, it will be selfless, which wasn't wasn't something you'd con- you'd consider kind of labeling him as before. But last year, he embraced that second unit role and he made the most of it. You could probably say that now. All of those things will help, and he definitely has to continue to build on that. He put some really solid foundations down last year, and beyond that as well. I mean, I think he likes Milwaukee at this point. And I'll try. Yeah, you've you've been saying that for a long time. <laughs> I think he probably does though, like the whole situation he's in. You know, it's it all seems to be working pretty well for him. So if he wants to come back with that, you know, if he wants to be there long term, if he feels they're building something good, this can be a place where he makes up for all the years of missing the playoffs by making the playoffs for a long period of time. He's got to prove to the books that whatever he's going to cost next summer, he's worth that outlay when they've got so many other things that are going to be on their mind. And particularly, you know, he could be one of the moves where if they have a good year again, like a a better year, and they do seem to be a little bit closer to contention than you could say they are at this current point, he could be one of the tests next summer, you know? Getting ready for new arena, going into new arena. Do the owner say, "Okay, let's let's not mess with this by letting Greg Monroe walk. Let's pay him. Let's bring him back. If this pushes into the tax, we're paying the tax." There's gonna be a few things that are interesting tests of that. He might be the most interesting though, because he may not, by the time the season finishes, be seen as entirely essential. Perhaps Ton will have improved further, and he's the starting center, and you'll be able to say. Oh, do we really need to pay that much for the backup center? That's the sort of piece, though, we've been through this even in recent years, that the whole thing can hinge on, you know, behind the scenes and on the court, that just kind of disrupting things by doing that can let it all fall apart. So he needs to also prove to the books 
you know, if I'm the guy who's going to be around here and is going to help with this, you're going to pay me and I'm going to deserve it. That's what he has to show this year. Uh, definitely a good start in preseason would help that. And who knows as well? I mean, you mentioned, I guess, that center isn't necessarily set. Maybe he can be a starter again. I don't think that's a good idea. Doesn't mean that Jason Kidd won't at some point think that's a good idea. He played exceptionally well in the playoffs. Put a big push in in preseason. Maybe Tom struggles a little bit. And maybe Kidd says, okay, let's go back to Moose as a starter and see what that looks like. Again, not sure it would necessarily be the best idea or best for the team. But I'd be surprised if it isn't the goal of Greg Monroe's to show... You know, I'm good enough. I'm not a defensive liability. You can put me in there and it works all the same. We'll be even better. Kind of interesting things to watch. Anyone else who you want to keep an eye on in preseason? Well, I think you talked about it already. Uh, the 15th roster spot, I mean, that's probably the most... I guess I, I don't think we'll come away with the... Mo- well, maybe we'll. I don't know. It, it's such a different wrinkle because we just, as you said before, we haven't really experienced this before. Just think about what the players... They usually brought in kind of relative unknowns, maybe just training camp guys, kind of give them a launching pad for finding other gigs around the league or the world. This is totally different. They have a spot up for grabs, and it can ultimately be Gary Payne 2's if he shows out. But there's proven NBA guys that showed last year that, you know, with Gerald Green's case, it was in the playoffs too, obviously. Um, they can still play, that they can contribute, that they can be, you know, good guys in the locker room. It's a different – it's a just – it's an interesting thing to see because we haven't really experienced it before. And maybe we'll – I'm sure we'll all overanalyze with how people play, but – it's just, you know, it's something different. And they don't just have a spot. They have uh, the two two-way spots. They have yeah, that's true. spots on the Wisconsin herd. I mean, a lot of these guys, these are, again, these aren't the kind of guys who are necessarily going to just straight away say, okay, I'm going to go and take the payday overseas. Some of these players might just want to be in the NBA again, and they may look at that as, okay, if the G League is the place where I can stay freshest in the mind, Maybe I build up a good rapport with the books. Maybe I go to the herd and that's an opportunity that a few months from now I could be back in, in the NBA. Um, James Young, I mean, we talk about James Young seems like a prime candidate for a two-way spot. If Gary Payton, too, doesn't hold on to the actual roster spot, he could be another. All of a sudden, that's both of your two-way spots. Even with that, you had someone like Kendall Marshall who played in the, in the D-League last year. He could be back in the G-League this year. If he's going to do it, why not do it in in Oshkosh with the Herd, knowing he's got some sort of kind of relationship and maybe unfinished business with the books? That could be the place where if he goes out and really shows out, he'll get another chance. So, like, there's more than the one place, too. I mean, I don't know if I'd say there's enough places for everyone and that they'd all take different spots that they could get. Um there's probably uh, realistically opportunities for four players maybe to stay within the organization and its various kind of branches if that's the option they so choose and they do enough to prove they're worthy of the investments at the various different levels so that's going to be very fun to watch uh, because 
I think at the top end, like I don't know if I, I feel very confident that Gerald Green or Brandon Rush, they'll be in the NBA or they will probably go overseas. Because I think the paydays that those two would make overseas would be significant. So maybe not for them. Maybe Joel Anthony, I don't know, he's later in his career. He might look for the payday as well rather than kind of going, okay, I'm going to work my my way back in through the G League. I also don't know if his game is particularly conducive to that, that he'd be able to just say, oh, I'm going to the G League and watch me put up 25 and 20 and I'll be back here next week. I don't think that's the case. Uh, the other three guys, though, are particularly interesting cases. But we'll see. We'll see how it all pans out. Before we move on to the mailbag, we've got books games this week, and that means one thing and one thing only. Predictions are back. Can you remember who won last year? No. <laughs> I think... I want to say it was Lucas. I think Lucas... That sounds right. It was. I think Lucas won pretty comfortably in the end. Um, I know all of us did pretty well, I think, with the exception of you. Am I remembering that correctly? I, yeah. It sounds like I'm like, I think outcome. I broke even, exactly. Uh, I'm skeptical on that. Basically, for those of you who haven't been around... the results. <laughs> for those of you who haven't been around last season or the season before, uh, we... As a staff, quite a few of us, I'm sure, um, at least Jordan, Ty, and I, and I think we already have one or two more in, will make predictions for every game the books play this season. We predict the team that will win the game. We predict the winning margin. You will find these predictions from everyone in our preview pieces for every game that Ty Windish will be putting together. You will also hear mine and Jordan's, plus anyone else who happens to be on the podcast with us at the time, right here throughout the season. So with that, we've got three games on the slate this week. We'll start off with you, Jordan, in Dallas, Texas. What is your prediction for Monday night's game? Well, Dallas has got home field advantage, home court advantage. Sorry. Uh, sorry. I was just going to go like really serious. They got Nerlens starting. They got Dirk. Uh, let's do they have Nerlens starting. Doesn't actually, sound yeah, like that's it. not true. Yeah, that's not completely accurate. Um, Bucks by eleven. Okay, Jordan is already looking to damage his point differential. But but what I will say is this will also be the preseason for us because we'll probably reset the the leaderboards to get ready for the season proper. So yeah, watch Tresky go and be reckless like that. Um. I gonna. I, I think there's a tough thing here where you think you know, the books aren't gonna go and win all their preseason games. Like that's just not gonna happen. But at the same time, the Mavs are the, probably the best team they play this week. They are the best team to play this week, and they're not even all that good. I'll go books by four. Talk to myself. Talk myself into it. First game of the year at the Bradley Center. Indiana Pacers visit on Wednesday. What is your prediction, Jordan? Uh, this Pacers team. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know, Bucks by seven. 
Yeah, the Pacers aren't good. They're not going to be remotely good. They're not even tanking right. They don't. I just don't know what they're doing. Nate McMillan is not a good coach. That's the fact that he's still the coach. I know they weren't like that bad last year, but I would have changed that personally. Um, it was boring. It was a boring team. Even with Paul George, it was a boring team. I don't know if I agree with that. Last year, maybe. They were just boring. They were, I think they were ill-fitting. Oh, yeah. They weren't well thought out quite a while. Since the the conference finals team. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll go Bucks by... Bucks by 18. They're going to put on a show as they kick off their final year in the Bradley Center. Friday, trip to the United Center, play the Bulls. What are you going with? <laughs> I, I might take Bucks all the way. Yeah, because the Bulls are terrible. Um, Bulls, or Bulls, Bucks by 16. Uh, I'll go Bucks by 5. I mean, we could possibly see like 30 points from DJ Wilson in this one because, you know, if the if the Bucks rested half their roster, he's probably still the best player on the court. I'm not at all comfortable having picked through the Bucks this week, but hey, this is preseason, and this will be the perfect antidote for two weeks from now when I pick against the Bucks in every game. So, <laughs> all right, let's move it on to the mailbag. Our first question this week comes from at underscore Al Hopper. Can we have a segment on the Bango toothbrush holders? P.S. If anyone gets an extra, let me know. I, I, I think it's inevitable that we do a section on the Bango toothbrush holders. What game was it? I'm already forgetting. Do you remember? Um, I don't remember exactly, but I'm sure I can pull it up quick enough that the people listening won't even know that I'm scrambling to find it. Sunday, February 25th against the Pelicans. 14 and under. Kids 14 and under give it 5,000. Come on. It's only kids 14 or under who get them. Yeah. That's a travesty. It is. Uh, I, I'm, I'm very upset about that. To be honest, I know Alex was going to have anyone found an extra. That was one that I really wanted. I don't think I've wanted one as much as that since the book's soccer scarf that uh, David Dunn 21 often tweets about and basically rubs in my face. I, ha- I haven't wanted a books giveaway item as much since since that. And maybe they're doing that because they know the kids 14 or under aren't, maybe they're not just going to be quite sharp enough to, you know, crack Bango's head open to reveal the Miles Plumley head underneath it. Mm, yeah. You know, I think these, these Bango toothbrush holders are just going to be a little bit bigger a little bit wider than people would anticipate. It won't be that, hey, Bango's carrying a bit extra lumber this time of year. It'll be that there's a Miles Plumley hiding inside. What's Bango sitting on? A unicycle? What? I, I'm convinced that's what they've done. They've they've done it. They've just they had all those Miles Plumley two patrollers sitting in a warehouse for the last eight, nine months. How can we do this? I think they threw them all into some chemical vat and they all came out as, as bangos. Just like that. 
Much like the original Batman, Tim Burtman. Burtman. <laughs> Tim Burt. That's actually that's what it's called. He should have called himself that for Tim the film. <laughs> Tim, Tim Burtman presents Batman. Yeah, that was the reference I was making though. So I guess it works. Uh, next one from my channel, Bush Tree. What seed do the books need to get for Yanis to get legit MVP consideration? What numbers does he need to improve and by how much? It is more team numbers than individual numbers that would really have to improve, I think. Uh, yeah. He, he could almost post, he, he could post the same numbers if the books were like a top. What did OKC win last year? 47? Yeah, I was thinking that too. I think there's just a couple of things that are a little dangerous in that. One, the East is not good. So I don't know if 47 wins in the East gets compared to that. Um, I don't. I, I wonder would 47 wins in the East and averaging a triple-double get you that? Or would people just say, it's the East? It's kind of an interesting thought exercise. I think probably to get in the conversation, the books would need to be the tree seed. I think people can say, okay, they're not better than Cleveland or Boston. But if Giannis is, you know, MVP caliber, I think, you know, he'd need to be judged as, okay, he made the books better than everyone else. Uh, that might be a little bit, you know, maybe they could have a really good season. They, they could probably get 50 wins. And someone like the Wizards could be just as good or better and still finish ahead of them and be fourth. I don't know, though, how you make the case for him in that scenario. I think... Falling just behind the Celtics and Cavs would really kind of put him there where stats around what he's been doing, I mean, are pretty incredible as they are. So they would make a very good case for him. I mean, if he goes and does something more incredible, well, then he may test the limits of what seed you have to be or how many wins you need to win that award. It's kind of wrong as well because it is most valuable player, not, you know, best player. It's not even that, though. It's, it's Are we always assuming the value is added to the team? If that's the case, then Westbrook, I don't know if he should have won it. I don't know. They're an awful team without him. Yeah. But then he did a lot of things that probably didn't make them the best they could be either. It's a debate for another time. Bare minimum, home court. Home court or the conversation isn't happening, absolutely. But I think to have a really viable case... Possibly need the tree seed. Yeah. From at Suckamint, is Gerald Green worth our 15 roster spot? I don't know. Uh, the next fortnight will tell. <laughs> that may be my favorite answer of any question we've answered. I really don't know, though. Is he worth I it? Know, but- Brandon Rush might be more worth it. Yeah, that's the ultimate thing. Is I think we talked about this last week. Brandon Rush is kind of the more steady kind of guy that you can depend on. That might not be the greatest of defendants, but he there's something there. Obviously, Gerald Green. I mean, I wrote about when uh, the news first broke out. It's been what three seasons now since his career. Best season, and he's still, you know, a league average good three point shooter. Um, I just said league average good three point shooter, league average three point shooter. Um, but there is that kind of 
he 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 is kind of he follows in that Beasley kind of thing. You can expect obviously in a different playing style altogether, but he's a very key check type kind of guy. And you know how much can he really bank on that in an eighty-two game season and hopefully a playoff series or more? Um, maybe at best like seven games, eight games. Like that's the thing. It's like you hope it's all year round and kind of more consistent than anything, but you just never really know with that type of player. Yeah. Time will tell is my, is my answer for now. I really, I I don't know. And I I think there's even an element had the next two weeks may tell us that, Oh, Gerald green deserves it because he could play out of his mind. I think he might have the ability to have the most impressive two week spell that any of those training camp guys could put together and I still may not make him the right guy by the time the season's over because he might have his best two weeks of the season in preseason. And then you're kind of lumbered with the regular season Gerald Green from last year rather than the playoff Gerald Green. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I said two weeks. Maybe I'll change my answer to uh, ask me next year. I feel dirty now. That's like a Jordan Tresky answer to a question. So to be specific, that is 26 fortnights. There you go. Uh, from at David on 21 can Jordan lean into the mic and say what's the deal with this offseason like Jerry Seinfeld thanks mm. bye I don't know Jordan what's your Jerry Seinfeld impression like uh, it's pretty you know the standard ah, what's the deal with this offseason that was more Kermit than ah, I, it was it was Kermit meets Jerry Seinfeld, which I mean... Kermit Seinfeld. If anyone needs an idea for the next Muppet movie, I think I've just applied it there. Kermit meets Jerry Seinfeld. He he runs through the door like Kramer. Slides to the door, I should say. I, I think we're, we're giving away the good stuff now. We need to keep the rest of this conversation private so those those Hollywood sorts who listen to us don't, don't exploit us. Um, <laughs> from Ad- Spiel- Spielberg's. Yeah, them Spielbergs. From oh, Spielberg Al Hopper again. Who do you think wins a Milwaukee Bucks Royal Rumble match? Players, coaches, owners, front office, and the multiple bangos. Air, normal, old, so on. Past and present players? I, I think we'll go present. I think all the bangos ah. can be there because they're probably kept in storage in the... They're kept in a dungeon without food and water. But if you want it, if you've got a really good past player. Irvin Johnson. The guy's a rock. Literally. You can smell what he's cooking. I like Juice's chances if we were uh, oh. if we were putting past players in. I think OJ Mayo would be able to. Goes unhinged. Yeah. Just actually, I, I, ask, I know present. I, I, yeah, I know present. Greg Foster, the boss. I quite like Hot Rod Torrance chances. <laughs> I think. No, I will, I will say that one. We'll move on to the next question. <laughs> From at David on twenty one. Knowing everything we know now about the limitations, personalities, and injury history of all three, pretend the books have the top pick. Are you taking 
Wiggins, Parker, or the broken narcissist clown? <laughs> um, that should be a basketball reference nickname for a bead. I mean, come on. <laughs> or a wrestling name. Yeah, bro- the broken narcissist clown. It's the title of my autobiography. Never. Um. <laughs> That would be a good title for your autobiography. Yeah. Broken. Or the name of my second album. I missed the second album. That's usually my staple. Anyway. We don't need to talk about your music career again. So we're dealing with the same circumstances, knowing everything we know, injury included. Yeah, everything we know about limitations, personalities, and injury history. Well, technically, I mean, if we're doing this scenario, would Wiggins be on the board? I mean, he's taken first. No, it, he didn't listen to the question, Jordan. I thought pretend, I was saying... Pretend the oh, books sorry. have the top oh. pick. I probably would have gone Jabari. And I say that as someone... So you'd still go Jabari, is what you're saying? I'd still go Jabari. Because I, I, I have to admit, during that year, I was all in meat. In the lead-up... I mean, that wasn't surprising because you just saw someone special and then obviously all the injuries that came with him, too. But I was leaning more towards Embiid than both Jabari and Wiggins. Um, but that's obviously, you know, there's a lot more factors with him than anything Jabari-related, really. Um, yeah, I would still go as is. Yeah, I, I agree with that entirely, um, because, I mean... Embiid's injury concerns are no less concerning than Jabari's. I mean, he's missed more time technically, so maybe they're more concerning. Well, he has just so many. I mean, Jabari's, it's strictly his ACL. Embiid has, like, it's up and down the board of what has, you know, been the problem for him. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I do also think there's there's something of, you know, being his size, back and foot injuries are just completely debilitating. Mm-hmm. And knee, knee injuries that Jabari's had, they could change who he is, but he could still develop in some way or alter his game that he could still be a very productive player. I, I don't know if that's the same for Embiid as, as it would be for Jabari. So, yeah, that's definitely true. I, I also agree with you. Um, I just pulled it up to check. I, a mock draft I did, it was for Hoops Habit at that time. And even with his injury concerns, I, I had John Bede going first in that draft. I, I thought he was the best of the bunch. Uh, I had Jabari two to the books. I'm kind of still there. Like the, the interesting thing is that Wiggins should be the obvious answer to this because he's putting up good numbers and he doesn't have the injury problems. But there's just still something that's somewhat unconvincing about him. Now, if we're to think of it a little bit more, you know, he's probably a, he'd probably fit in pretty well with what the books have going right now and kind of two true four being Middleton, Wiggins, Giannis. You know, that's probably something pretty good. Maybe we should be leaning that way more. I do just think kind of talent-wise, there's something that's still kind of tantalizing about Jabari. And although his injury problems are really concerning they're definitely not good they still aren't as bad as Embiid's uh, like look I think fully healthy these three players 
which is already impossible. But if that yeah. was to have been the way it played out, I think Embiid is head and shoulders against above the other two guys. I don't think it's even close. Like he's he's a generational player. His skill set is pretty absurd. His physical attributes are crazy, which is maybe in part why his body is unable to kind of house them. Um, But it hasn't played out that way. And I just think his are maybe, they are more concerning. Like that's everything even that gets talked about with Embiid this year. It will talk about how incredible he is and what they expect from him. And then it's like, the interesting thing will be to see how many games he got to play. Like, if you're starting a season with that, and he's not, it's not, okay, he had the injury last year, but it's not like you're coming into the season and he's, like, gonna miss 40 games to begin with because of injury. It's just everyone's already anticipating them not pushing him to save him. This is his fourth year. That's not good. That's really not good. Um, when you're thinking about guarding against injury for a guy who won't be injured, so early in his career, that's just it's beyond red flags. I go yeah, still. I still go. I go still Jabari, but maybe Wiggins is the wiser answer. It's but the he's safest. Just, it's the safest, and maybe that's just it's not very exciting either. Yeah, kind of. I guess I would say aesthetically to his game, even though I do think he's a really good player. I mean, yeah, and I think he'd be a great fit with the with Middleton and Giannis. Like I think that's a. You could probably like now see watch me talk myself into it now. But uh <laughs> Brogdon Middleton Wiggins Yanis Tawn lineup, like get the most out of that group defensively, and you've got one hell of a defensive group. But then Wiggins hasn't shown an ability to be a really consistent defender. But he is a, a proven scorer and he would I mean, we talk about that kind of off the dribble scorer who can, you know to score in bunches. I mean, that is Wiggins at this point. Yeah, it's it's a fun question. I, I think for now, I'd probably still just go with Jabari. And it, there's just a very good chance that's the wrong answer. But Wiggins just hasn't done enough to convince anyone, really, up until now. And Embiid is just, I mean... And he's going to be paid... He's already paid... Right. The highest out of all of them, obviously, for pretty clear reasons, but that's not going to apply to either Jabari or uh, Embiid. All right. That is it for us for this week. We will be back next week to do predictions. Uh, who knows? We are now, <laughs> basketball is coming back, so we always will have to add in that we may be back sometime before that. Anything can happen now, so. We'll see. I'd say we won't be, and I hope we won't be, because bringing us back early would probably mean something really bad has happened. So let's hope you won't hear from us until same time next week when we'll be running through the Western Conference team and making our win predictions for the season. Until then, thank you very much for listening. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us on SoundCloud, add us on Stitcher. We'll be back with you very soon. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you.